Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur with your host, Steve Kidd, third-generation minister and 30-year business coach. Listen in as amazing, world-changing authors, speakers, and coaches share their struggles and victories and hear from best-selling authors' insight into how you, too, can live your life as a thriving entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur. Today, we're going to talk about from roots to rewards. What are the places that we start and how do those basic beginning roots of who we are and what we dream of being, how do those grow into the rewards of becoming the person that we want to be? And how do we overcome the things in our life that get in the way, whether it be physical, emotional, or other kind of things that get in the way? How do we go from our roots through our challenges and to our rewards to live and be in a place where we are always living as a thriving entrepreneur? Let's jump into our three really great guests here. Here's the first one right now. Join me in welcoming Lynn Miller. Hey, Lynn, how are you doing today? I'm good, Steve. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being with us here today. Start us off by telling us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Um, well, I am a veteran of the learning industry. I've been, I was in it for 25 years, and I'm also a veteran in the business development sales industry. I was in that, I did that kind of work for about 15 years. Um I am a parent and a grandparent of a 20-month-old grandson. Grandkids are the best. They're like God's <laughs> gift to the grandparents, right? It is the truth. It is the truth. I mean, raising kids was great. Taking care of grandkids is a blast. So over the course of all that you've learned in business, um, you, I even saw it on your background. You talk about helping people 10 X, um, and those kind of things. Mm -hmm. What is the, uh, most important thing to finding the opportunity that's right for you and then really, truly growing it? Um, that thanks for that question. The, the thing that I really want to find with an opportunity is somebody who's been in business for at least probably five or more years, more like 10 or more years and has done a lot of speaking and workshops and writing about what they really feel passionate about related to business. And um, I like to work with those people and find out within that those areas that they are passionate about, what is it that they enjoy talking about most or enjoy helping people with most? And you can hear a dramatic change in the voice of the person when they speak to you, that there's something other than what they know that really matters to them. And I love looking for that other thing that matters to them most. And that is what I love to 10X. And by 10X, I mean being finding multiple platforms, multiple ways to teach people about how to learn, how to do what you know how to do, how to approach problems the way you approach them, et cetera. I love that. Um, I was just trying to think if we could 
I don't think I could come up with a 10 list right now. So let's, uh, let's talk about it. You know, you've got, uh, you know, group coaching, one-on-one coaching courses, speaking. Um, Give me some other examples. Some other examples. Thanks for asking is actually the customer journey. It learning, teaching um, your ideal clients or customers how to work with you or what, you believe are the best ways for them to be working that education process is another way of 10xing your expertise Ooh, um, i'd love to hear you talk more about that one so okay. teaching people because i love the concept of that but i guess i'm not totally sure how do you uh, monetize that? How do you make it where you're not just giving away all of your stuff for free and oh. getting soaked, you know, having people constantly pump you for free information? Um, it's, it's, it's a problem I experienced just recently. And that was the day I came up with another offer, to be honest with you, Steve, because somebody was pumping me for information about how to adapt their training for an online program. And I was like, I, I could charge people for this. So I so it's whatever, you know, whatever's hard for other people to do and easy for you, that's something that's that you can monetize. And for me, when it comes to the customer journey and educating the customer, there was a, I don't, I don't know if I talked to you about this, there used to be a slogan for a retailer on, that said, an educated consumer is our best customer. And I believe that if you can educate the people you want to attract, like, for example, people who have been in business for quite a while and are known as experts in their field, um, that you can actually educate that ideal client as to how they can get more, you know, expand their business. That's what I care about expanding the business of people who are experts because they owe it to the world for more people to learn from them. That's what I believe. Love where your head's at with this. Um, And if it's okay, I'd like to go even a little deeper. So all too often, many of us grew up not really valuing ourselves. I know there's everybody else out there doesn't, but I'll I'll call myself out on that one. Um, You know, and so how do we then begin to learn how to charge for things that we have very generously and very easily given away uh, for days, weeks, months, years, decades? Um. It starts really with having some page or some website where, or other online digital vehicles where people are curious about learning from you. And 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 the the dirty little trick, if you will, is is not sharing is not oversharing. You want to say, you know, you want to present a problem to your ideal audience and say, have you thought about solving this problem? Here's here's a couple of things to consider. And then if they want more information, they're going to have to give you their email address. And then and then you'll give them some and then you can give them like one free thing or two free things. And then if they want really to interact with you because they like your personality and they love the way you solve problems and you've shared stories, 
then they can pay for what I would call like an, a one hour taste of working with you session. So that's, a, you know, a small, not a, not a tiny amount of money, a decent amount of money that matters, but isn't crazy. Like can you give us 500 an idea? To 1000, 500 to $1,000. Okay. I, I'm um, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go on, please. Okay. Um, five hundred to a thousand dollars. May I? I don't really feel that great about charging a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars for anything that I can offer. So I always offer something in hand, like uh, on paper, for them to remember what we talked about. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely, it does. So I um. So I have this th this newer offer um, that's called, and I and I basically have just written about it. It's like, ask me, talk to me about what. Let's find out why your course isn't selling. Let's find out why your program isn't attracting the people you want to attract. And I would say in an hour I can figure it out. <laughs> so. I can at least get them started and get them recognizing that the inner that they're that doing it alone is a bad idea. I love that. So um, let's then talk about a, a, a half a step back. Okay. Um, so every day then on social media, are you posting, uh, you know, that kind of question, the you know, are you struggling with this? Would you like to know better how to do that? Or um, how do you market yourself to be able to get in front of the people so that you can then, you know, give them the free thing you were talking about and then invite them to an hour with you? Um, it's a work in progress, Steve. So I do, I have done webinars in the past. I'm doing, to be honest with you, I'm doing lots of podcasts, educating people on the thing that they're overlooking, which is something that is, which is the customer journey. They're not giving the potential customers time to get to know them, like them, trust them. And even though that sounds kind of, you know, typical and corny, the truth is, is that the more people get to kind of get interested in how you do things, the more they want to do things like you. Does that make sense? Yes, it absolutely does. So it's, it's really just a, a, it's an it's a process over time where you start to um, in educate people and then show them an example of what that could look like on paper, educate them some more and maybe give them a testimonial of somebody who absolutely was thrilled with your work. Educate them some more and then invite them to talk to you. Okay, so then we invited him to talk to us, $500 to $1,000. Don't get yep. stuck in that 100 buck range that so many people do. Right. Um, and then we want to invite them to go deeper. So um, what would you advise is the next price point we should jump at so that we're not then falling back into the trap of devaluing ourselves? That's kind of, that's more, a little bit more up to you, but um what I do with one person, for example, who's a brand expert is I had her create a group program for 197 a person, and she could have like 20 people in the, 15 or 20 people in the class. Her first class was four, but she's going to be, she's going to build momentum and she's going to run that class regularly. So that'll be, that'll be the, 
initial interaction with her. And the next step for her is a strategy. So for one per, for one person, they would go from 197 to 500. From somebody who already worked with her for 500, they'd go up to 1,500 or 2,000. And then do you work with people to the point where you help them get up to 20,000, 50,000, $100,000 offers or? Um... Um, I'm helping, <clears throat> I'm helping one person right now who has both a, a 10 and a $25,000 offer. It's been very successful. He coaches attorneys and um, it's been fairly successful, but he has room for more people in the program. And when we looked at his website, it was a lot of information about him and very little opportunity for the ideal client to even identify themselves as the ideal client, number one. And number two, for them to really get curious about what kinds of tools they could get if they worked with him and what the experience might like be like working with him. So you got to give people, you got to give a chance, give people a chance to have a taste of how you work with them and how they feel after they're, they've worked with you. I don't know mm -hmm. if I answered your question. Yeah, absolutely. I did. Yeah. So, 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 so even small little courses that are 45 minutes, those are the ones that can be under a hundred dollars, Steve, or right around a hundred dollars. But in those kinds of courses, they're not really doing anything but they're at but they are absorbing how you work and what you think is important and they want to learn more after that so then that's when you can go up to something like 500 or a thousand or you know i have one person who's who has a program that she's about to roll out for ten thousand a month and we're going to create a sample course that's 45 minutes for people to try. I love that. And you wrote a book. Tell us just a little bit about your book and, and what we can learn in it. Um, the book is Lead From Within. I collaborated with eight other authors to write this book. They're, they represent five to six aspects of leadership that entrepreneurs need to be successful. And... Um, the part of uh, the trait that I focused on was being an opportunity champion, which really is something that I thought I was pretty good at until I started writing the book. And then I discovered there were a few things I had to discover for myself, but I'd already done that by the time I wrote it. I just like shared the journey of going from seizing every opportunity I could, you know, running after shiny things to having a purpose behind what I wanted to pursue as an opportunity. And for people who would like to go deeper with you, since we've kind of outlined what the process is going to be with you, um, how can they jump into your first initial, uh, you know, offering a free gift? Um, the first place to look is on my LinkedIn profile. So I don't know if I've shared that with you. I don't have it off the top of my head, but my name is, it, it, it's under Lynn Ellen Miller and I live in the Chicagoland area. Um, so they can go to my LinkedIn profile. They can email me at lynn at straighttalk 
writer.com and just say Steve Kids Show and we'll find a time for them to, um, I'll send them my Calendly link and we'll find a time for the, us to meet. Or you can buy the book, Lead From Within on Amazon. I love that. Well, just before you go, um, give us some words of encouragement about how possible it is to upscale or um, exponentially grow your business. You are you, all of you who do speaking and workshops and write about what you really care about and who you really care about, you are a, an opportunity champion waiting to happen. And I want to help you get there. So the only thing missing is that you haven't necessarily narrowed down which kinds of opportunities you want to work on the most with people. And the next thing you need to do is identify who you want to work with and what you want for them in the world, like what you want to contribute in the world. So one of the things, by the way, that um, come out of the book is there's three paths to being an opportunity champion. One of them is to build on past success. The other one is to um, take a turn and, and take what you've learned and take it in a different direction. And the last is to really focus on the difference you want to make in the world. And in all cases, you're making a, you're going to make a difference, but it just, it just matters what, um, gets you excited most. Well, Lynn, thank you so much for spending some time with us here on the show today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Are you an opportunity seeker? Do you look for places for opportunity and for growth in your life to go from those roots to the rewards in your life so that you can be a thriving entrepreneur? We'll be right back. Hi, my name is Steve Kidd. I am a third generation minister, an international best-selling author of multiple books, and I help people write, publish, and market their books to bestseller. In fact, there are literally thousands of people that have used the system that I created to be able to write, publish, and market their books, and now they're best-selling authors, and you're next. I just wanted to come on for a minute, say hi to you, tell you a little bit about me, introduce myself, and tell you... I know the world is waiting on your message, and I would be so honored to be part of sharing your message with the world. Go to AskStevekid.com and schedule a time to talk today. Steve, welcome back. Today we're talking about going from roots to rewards and in between some of the challenges that we come in along the way to get to that place that we all want to be, those rewards of living the life that we want to live and being a thriving entrepreneur. Join me in welcoming Jessica Procini. Hey, Jessica, how are you doing today? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. So to kick us off, tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. So I am the founder and leader of 
escape from emotional eating. And since 2011, I have been helping women who strive for excellence, heal the roots of their emotional eating so they can embody their full potential. Um, and I've been doing this work for a little over 12 years now, and I really, really love it. So how many of the people that you work with, I, I've been dying to ask you this question since I very first saw your, your bio, how many of the people that you work with start from the place of saying, I'm not an emotional eater. I just really like food. Um, I would say if I had to survey, I, I would imagine that a large majority of people go through that as a phase. Um, and it's a phase before they come to the acknowledgement that in fact, what they're doing with food is disordered. Um, and they can't really get a handle on it on their own. Um, but they're also not as a severe case as someone who would need to go to like an eating disorder clinic or like that feels too extreme for them. Um, so a lot of people go through kind of many different phases of denial and telling themselves like, oh, this isn't a big deal or, oh, I should have this figured out by now. And then that kind of transforms into why can't I just eat normal? And why can't I just figure this out? Um, and then a little bit later on down the road is where they may be reaching out for help. But I will say that I personally still really enjoy food. So I was an emotional eater. That's how I got into this work. Um, but I, I do love food, but I love it very differently than when I was using it as a self-destructive coping mechanism. Gotcha. So, and maybe that's good. Um, and maybe I don't even understand it, but for the people that are listening, uh, explain to us the difference between somebody who just overeats and somebody who has a disorder uh, involving food. Yeah. So on the disordered side is where you're using food uh, to either avoid. So for example, avoid feeling certain feelings um, or avoid even certain experiences, um, certain emotions. You may be using food as a way to numb or kind of take the edge off of a long, stressful day. Um, it's where food can tend to uh, vacillate between a reward or a punishment based on what's happened through the day um, or even life. Um, it's where food is, is not being used for truly pure intentions. Um, and where it really starts to become something that needs to be addressed is where it starts impacting other areas of life. For example, the person may be having certain health issues, particularly like digestive issues tend to show up first. Um, maybe even some skin issues. Um, a lot of people will often tell themselves, oh, I can't fill in the blank uh, until I lose 
X amount of pounds, uh, really coming from a place of like, they don't feel worthy of love or a relationship or whatever the achievement is. Um, so there's a lot of stuff beneath the surface. And that really is what my work is about and what my work addresses. But where, um, where a relationship with food can be unhealthy is when you're using food to either avoid, numb, distract, um, because whatever it is you're trying to avoid, numb, or distract from isn't going to go anywhere. Um, what you resist persists, so it will catch up with you over time. So I'd love to talk about some of the things that make uh, what you do unique. You mentioned in your bio, uh, Overeaters Anonymous and things like that. And, you know, unlike AA or any of the others of those kind of things, where the concept is to understand that's just not something you can do anymore. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you really can't ever get to the place where you can just understand you just can't eat anymore. Just don't, just right. don't eat ever. Um, so what did you discover that was able to help people when in a lot of cases, that system doesn't really work when you're talking about food? Well, the first thing that differentiates my work from something like a 12-step program or something more severe like um, an eating disorder clinic is that we come to the table understanding that the issues with food that someone may have um, is not necessarily a full-blown addiction. Um, it's where they are conscious of what's going on. Yes, they feel out of control, um, but it's, it's, it's not as extreme on the spectrum as where, for example, if you go to an OA um, meeting, they start with this kind of acceptance that um, like food has had power over them. And there is this kind of underlying understanding that this is something they're going to struggle with for the rest of their life. And that kind of um, belief system really didn't resonate with me because when I was going through my issues with food, I didn't want to subscribe to a belief that my issues with food were going to plague me for the rest of my life. Like that was one of the reasons why I wanted so much change and transformation in my relationship with food was because I wanted to put it behind me. Um, that being said, there is a commonality in that our relationship with food is one that we are constantly working on, um, but I really didn't align or subscribe to, I will always be a food addict and this is always going to be something that I have an issue with. Um, so that's one of the things that really separates my work from a 12-step program in that regard is, is that I really do believe in full freedom and that is everything that my work is about and what we are doing together when we work together. Um, another thing that differentiates my work from something like a 12-step program is the fact that it is private and that it is one-on-one. -on -one. So like when we are working together, you and I are working together. Um, oftentimes 
because I work with people who strive for excellence and who are high performers, high achievers, a group setting can often work against them. There can be a lot of comparison, even competition, um, not consciously, but unconsciously. And so they won't necessarily put themselves in a group experience because it actually ends up working against them. So that's why my programs are private. And that also allows me the ability to customize things, whether it's what we're doing in a session or how I want to kind of lead them through a process. I might reorganize steps within uh, the system so that it's really tailored to the specific client. And I can confidently say you won't get that high level support from a group program or really a lot of programs that are out there. I love your methodology and you know, the concept of the type of person you're working with, especially, um, you know, they may be private enough that they're not even going to talk about this with, you know, the people they live with. Um, but it brings up an interesting question, uh, you know, because too many people in our lives love us with food. You know, how are you doing? Are you losing weight? Would you like some cookies? Um, none of us have a mother like that, right? <laughs> um, how do we, um, how do we, first of all, learn how to say no? And second of all, then begin to teach those people in a way that doesn't take away our dignity or our need for privacy or what have you. I'm so glad that you brought this up because I think one of the places where a lot of people struggle is how do they stay in integrity with themselves with food when they're in relationship with others. Um, and this is something that I I do address in my work with my clients and we do navigate this in many, many different ways. Everything from um, how do you say no, you know, no, thank you, or I'm full or I'm complete. How do you say no, thank you when everyone else is diving into dessert and you feel full and satiated um, to even navigating difficult conversations and long-term relationships about what's really going on for someone in their relationship with food. Um, I know for myself, you know, I've been married for a little over six years now, and um, I've been with my now husband for more than 10. And there have been many, many times where I've had to have honest, vulnerable conversations with him really about like, what do I need? Um, and that doesn't even necessarily have to do with food, especially now that I am free from emotional eating and has been so long since I have emotionally eaten. Um, now the conversations are still about what do I need and, you know, here's what I would like and kind of negotiating those things with him. Um, but it doesn't revolve around food where I would say in the early days, a lot of the conversations were around food because that was something I was transforming my relationship with. So all that to say is 
that if someone who's listening, uh, if you find yourself sabotaging yourself or your health when you're around others, I would really recommend receiving support around that because it can be really difficult to navigate when it's just yourself um, and trying to navigate new territory in that way. I love that. So for the person that's listening and, and what they really need to do is work with you, but let's just give them a little bit of a hint. Um, how can they begin to address the emotional eating in their life? So I would really recommend going to a resource that I have on my website. Uh, you can go to innerwork.me. Uh, this is an assessment that will highlight which of the four roots of emotional eating is activated for you. And then it'll, based on your results, it'll also give you a starter kit on how to start working with that root, um, including a few tools and recommendations that I have. And that is a free resource. So I really love to point everyone in that direction as a starting place because people are so often saturated with the old um, eat this, not that, work out more, eat less conversation under this kind of guise that that should heal their relationship with food when the conversation that I want to have isn't really about what you're eating and isn't really about even how much you're exercising. It's really about taking a look at what's underneath the surface. So that assessment and that starter kit is a really great, gentle way to start peeling back the layers and looking at what are some of the threads that are keeping um an emotional relationship with food locked into place. And give us that URL again. It's innerwork.me. Okay. And is that the URL to go to, too, if they want to work with you? So uh, innerwork.me is where you can find the starter kit and the assessment. My main website is escapefromemotionaleating.com. And that's where you can kind of find everything that you need to learn more about me, my work, how we do it, frequently asked questions, and then even to schedule some time together to explore working together. So that's escapefromemotionaleating.com. That's awesome. Well, before I let you go, um, give some words of encouragement to the folks that are struggling with their eating habits. So... Let me tune in here for a second. I would say that if you are struggling in your relationship with food, the urge to put it off, to deny it, to tell yourself it's not that big of a deal, the pull for that is going to be so, so very strong. And if you're listening to this and you're hearing these words, my high recommendation is that you reach out for help, whether it's me, whether it's an expert in your awareness, you reach out for help because 
the longer that you put it off and the longer that you pretend it's not as big of a deal as it actually really is, the more you stay locked in the emotional eating cycle. And it doesn't have to be this way. It can change. It will change. It needs to change. So you can find me at escapefromemotionaleating.com. But my high recommendation is watch out for the urge and the strong pull to discount it, to deny it, to push it off, and instead take your issues with food seriously and reach out for support. Jessica, thank you so much. I appreciate all that you're doing in the world. And thanks for being a guest on the show today. Thank you. Heal those roots, learn to live above, and learn to be a thriving entrepreneur. Hi, my name is Steve Kidd. I am a third generation minister, an international best selling author of multiple books, and I help people write, publish, and market their books to bestseller. In fact, there are literally thousands of people that have used the system that I created to be able to write, publish, and market their books, and now they're best-selling authors, and you're next. I just wanted to come on for a minute, say hi to you, tell you a little bit about me, introduce myself, and tell you I know the world is waiting on your message, and I would be so honored to be part of sharing your message with the world. Go to AskStevekid.com and schedule a time to talk today. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today as we talk about from roots to rewards. We've talked about some of the roots that we have that sometimes even causes problems and some of the rewards and the opportunities. Let's move on to our next concept of really finding our rewards in life. Join me in welcoming Dimitri Shapiro. Hey, Dimitri, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Excited to chat with you. Absolutely. Start us off by telling us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Well, I'm an old nerd. I started writing code in 1984 after watching the movie War Games in in the theaters. Got home and decided I I wanted to be a hacker. And so uh, that's what I did in my high school years. Instead of going out and having fun, I sat in front of a monochrome screen uh, writing code and then studied electrical engineering got a degree, never done a day of it. Uh, But since then, I've had a long career. I graduated college in 1992, um, where, you know, now I'm running this company, UAI, which is a venture-backed AI company. Uh, Prior to that, I was at Google for four years on the main campus, running three machine learning teams. Prior to that, I was the chief technology officer of MySpace Music, for those that remember the days of MySpace. And then prior to that, I built two other venture-backed companies. One was a major competitor to YouTube called VEO, V-E-O-H, raised $70 million for that, seven zero. And before that, I built a venture-backed enterprise software cybersecurity company called Aconix Systems, uh, raised $34 million for that. And prior to that, I spent five years at Fujitsu, 
you know, giant Japanese company where I built their web team from 1995 to 1999. So as I said, uh, I'm an old nerd. <laughs> I love it. You and I are going to get along so well. Um, you know, even if just from the concept of all the things we wish we could have done in the movies that we saw. And then once we started learning coding, we realized, yeah, some of that's a little bit more uh, movieized than is really true. <laughs> exactly. So talk to us about UAI. You're giving us the capability to create custom AIs um, that we can then sell to our customers, use for our customers um, without needing to know all the coding and stuff. Uh, tell us more about that. Yeah. So while well, everybody's excited about all of these new capabilities we have with these you know, generative AI models, whether they be large language models like ChatGPT or BART or others, or image diffusion models like you know, Midjourney and Stable Diffusion. Now they're video models you know, being released and code models. It's really amazing time uh, uh, to be alive, to be able to use these models. That's great. And so what we do is we have a product called Mind Studio, mindstudio.ai. And if you go there, you can see it says that it's the easiest and fastest way to build AI-powered applications. Now, what does that mean? Well, so these foundation models, these generative models are amazing, but if you want to use them as a user, you have to go and sign up and then you have to type these prompts, right? So you got to sort of figure out what to type in to this chat box in order to get the model to give you a response. For those of us that are old enough to remember, it feels sort of like DOS before we got Windows. And so if you are a nerd like us, you get excited that you can sort of just show up and use this command line interface, as it's called in tech, to write commands to this intelligent, um, we call it the intelligence layer, and get responses back. But of course, regular people, non-nerds, which is the majority of people, they can't be expected to do that. That doesn't make any sense. And so we allow nerds to show up and build things for non-nerds. And those things, again, we call AI-powered applications. It's really easy to do. It requires no technical skill whatsoever. It requires the skill you need is the ability to use natural language to be able to, to articulate what you want the AI to do. And, and if you can do that, then you can sort of harness the power of this intelligence layer of all of these models, because we're model agnostic. We support open AI models, Anthropic models, Google models, meta models, et cetera. Uh, you can harness the power of these models to build applications that regular humans can use. And today we've got almost 50,000 of these, we call them prompt engineers that have signed up to create these AIs. And there are now thousands of AIs that have been created for all kinds of purposes, many being used in various enterprises and small to medium-sized businesses, consumers, small teams, individuals automating their own workflows, sort of many, many things that people are doing with it. So, I mean, and there's a, a few others out there in the space that are doing those kind of things. One of the ones I think of is like FormWise that allows you to create a form that asks them the questions. Um, if I'm understanding correctly from when I looked at it at your website, one of the things you're really going for is a more graphic and user interface and um, intuitive for people who 
don't know the right answers kind of a model. Is that a good way of putting it or am I missing the mark? Um, what we're going for is we call what we're building the application layer of AI. And so again, we think that all models belong in this thing we're calling the intelligence layer. And that instead of humans going and talking to the intelligence layer directly, again, non-nerd humans, uh, that the intelligence layer should be abstracted from regular users by the application layer. And that's what we build with Mind Studio is the application layer that allows, um, again, we call them prompt engineers, people who want to come and work in the application layer to build end user facing applications. We, we have all of the things required for that layer to exist, meaning we have an integrated development environment, an IDE that people can use to build these things and test them. And it allows you to do, you know, again, use uh, different models for different purposes, not just be stuck on OpenAI, for example, but be able to use different models inside of for different purposes. The ability to do multi-step workflows that create lots of logic, call third-party APIs, bring in data from all kinds of services. The ability to take you know lots of data and transform it into vector embeddings, and then be able to do what's known as retrieval augmented generation. So, like all of these nerdy things that are super valuable to be able to build really powerful end user facing, easy to use for end user applications that leverage all of the power of AI. So Formwise or whatever, there's like a bunch of other sort of companies out there that, that do little things. Uh, the, those are just tiny little pieces, I guess. Uh, we are this very sophisticated platform that facilitates the creation, testing, deployment, monetization, uh, you know, operations, analytics, uh, extensibility by a community of third-party developers that can build, that can extend the capabilities of our platform by building these things we call custom functions. Um, so many things sort of all integrated together that make this, you know, we believe is clear, the ultimate environment for being able to create applications that leverage AI models as backends, but present awesome user-friendly interfaces to you know regular end users. Mm, I love that so much. So often we, uh, you know, those of us that are big geeks, we start looking at something and it doesn't quite work right for us. And then still we're starting to look at, should I actually start writing more code for this thing? Of course, we don't really want to, but, you know, sometimes we feel like we have to. Mm -hmm. um, let's break it down. I mean, a person who doesn't have the ability to just go to, you know, insert programming language here and, mm -hmm. and write it themselves, how easily can they put something relatively complex together? Mm -hmm. uh, well, I will argue that even if you are uh, a person who can write code uh, well, uh, this is still the right tool to use to do the interface to the intelligence layer. And in fact, this isn't just my opinion. There are, you know, I've talked to a handful of developers that are doing exactly that, where they are building web applications or some are building native applications for iOS and Android. And instead of writing these connectors to these different models themselves that they certainly could have done, 
uh, that they realized that this was obviously much faster and easier and less expensive way uh, of doing it. And so they chose to do that anyway. Um, so it is quite, uh, I won't say it easy, even though I think people report it being easy, uh, but, I, but I, I think everyone can do it, meaning everyone can show up to mindstudio.ai uh, AI and, uh, and watch some YouTube tutorials, short YouTube tutorials, and very quickly start creating really sophisticated, you know, AI powered applications for all kinds of things, for enterprises, you know, and, and you should be able to be proficient at it with about a, you know, half an hour to an hour maybe of, of watching those tutorials and playing around. So a, a very steep, uh, you know, ascent to mastery, uh, uh, but in very short period of time, and I think very attainable. Another way of putting it is my nine-year-old son still struggles a bit with reading and writing, uh, but he can build AIs using Mind Studio. I love that so much. And one of the things that I was noticing here on your website is the model that you put together is pay for it when you're ready to publish. So you give the person the ability to come in, use the system, do all those kind of things. Um, and then when they're ready to go live with it, pay for it versus, you know, most models are, uh, you know, pay us whatever amount up front and, you know, and then hopefully you can figure the system out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, thanks. It's, it's actually even, I think better than that is you can, you can build as many AIs as you want. Um, you can test them yourself. You can publish them completely free of charge and your users can use them completely free of charge. When the only time you need to pay, and we've got sort of these multiple tiers of pricing, is if you want to take the AI you've created and then embed it in your own website, not just sort of have it on our website, but embed it in your own website and take off our branding on it and monetize it if you want to charge for it, if you want to have more professional analytics other than some basic analytics we give you on the free tier. So that's the time when you need to pay for these things. And we've got two tiers. One is $23 a month. Um, and we call that the pro tier. And then there's a $99 a month business tier that gives you just e even more control of, of these things and, and better analytics and sort of more uh, uh, priority and support and, and things like that. So you and I have been kind of geeking out here, but let's bring it down a little bit for folks who maybe don't completely understand what we're talking about. Can you give us an example of a really easy concept, you know, maybe even something that your nine-year-old created that a person could create, what that would look like and how that would work? Totally. So as I mentioned, there's almost 10,000 now AIs that have been created uh, since we launched this about you know three months ago. So uh, lots of AIs. If you look at, uh, again, our website, if you go to mindstudio.ai, you can click a button that says explore apps where we have a showcase of some of these. And, th and there are categories there. And so I'm just going to quickly read through the categories. There's a business category. It's got a bunch of different types of AIs for business from helping you make presentations to financial planning, to helping you grow your business, to helping you craft awesome uh, marketing emails, to project planning, to like many kinds of things like that. 
Uh, there are 25 AIs for decision-making that have sort of various types of decision frameworks that have been now architected as AI. So like first principle thinking, Pareto principle, regret minimization framework, Occam's razor, sunk cost fallacy, opportunity cost. These are all like frameworks to be able to identify things. There are many AIs for, for generating content, creating uh, you know, political speech writer, newsletter writer, a blog writer, SEO keyword planner. There are many AIs for uh, job seeking and, and your career. Uh, there are many co-pilots. So some folks may have heard this term co-pilot when it comes to developers being able to have this AI-assisted uh, you know, writing of code, which has been transformative for developers over the you know last year or so that these things have been available. Well, now there are many other co-pilots that have popped up for sort of countless other job functions inside of companies and countless industries. So as I'm looking again, there's a real estate co-pilot, law firm operating co-pilot, manufacturing co-pilot, project management, restaurant tour. There's a parenting co-pilot. I've got five kids. Uh, the oldest one is nine. And, and so I'm sort of immersed in this. I don't have time to read parenting books and try to digest them. You know, ChatGPT has already read all the books. And so I built the parenting co-pilot. It took me about five minutes to do. And this thing is able, you give it situations and it's able to give you advice. Or, you know, uh, when you first install it, it asks you, uh, or load it, not install it. But when you first load it, it asks you, for the first names of your children and the year of their birth. And you, once you've done that, that's sort of like onboarding. From then on, you can just use your children's name, names as you're talking to this thing and express what's happening. And it gives you step-by-step -step advice for you, how to think about it, what to say to each of your children. It's a freaking game changer. It's amazing, okay? So these co-pilots are, are starting to be all over the place. There are book AIs. There are people that are taking books and, and basically... You know, book needs to be digitized, obviously. But if you have a text file from a book, you can turn it into what's called a book AI. So sort of book companions, these conversational agents that understand the book and can help you better understand the book, paraphrase the book. And of course, also, they naturally become master practitioners of whatever is expressed in the book. And so they can do things that are in the book. So if the book is about how to write copy for a highly converting landing pages. Well, not only can the book AI, again, explain to you what the author meant by it, but the book AI can write the landing pages for you because it knows the process of doing it. Uh, there are coding assistants anyway. It's like countless things that, that are there that you can build. All of those things, or at least the vast majority of them, have been built by people who know nothing about writing code. Again, the real skill set you need is the ability to explain what it is you want the thing to do, you see? And maybe a, a quick thing that I'll do is I'll, I'll give you the, the parenting co-pilot and, and, and I'll quickly read uh, the, uh, basically the, the instructions for, for the parenting co-pilot. Uh, here we go. This, this is the code that needed to be written to create this amazing parenting co-pilot. It goes as follows. Assistant is a parenting expert that utilizes all of its knowledge about parenting children and acts as a coach slash advisor to parent. Assistant utilizes its knowledge of the parent's children provided in this variable. Again, this is the information that's collected the first time the parent uses it, which are the first names of their children 
and um, their uh, year of birth. Then it says assistant interacts with parent in a dialogue where parent provides situations they're experiencing and assistant provides guidance on how to approach each situation. Assistant keeps advice concise and friendly. Assistant only engages on the topic of parenting and related. And that's it. That is all the code. If you Obviously that's not code, it's just human language. That's the only thing you needed to write in order to be able to use, in this case, this AI uses ChatGPT4. But again, we support four OpenAI models, two Anthropic Claude models, Google Palm 2, et cetera. You could choose another model if you wanted, uh, but I chose this GPT-4. Wow, there's just so much to that, Dimitri. And really what a person needs to do is just jump in, try to create a few things um, and see where they can go from there. Give us once again the URL so that people that want to use your system can uh, can try it out for themselves. It's mind m i n d studio dot ai mindstudio dot ai. If you Brilliant. go there, it should be self-explanatory. We have really uh, great support. Uh, we get compliments all the time, uh, and you can do that in our Discord server. So you can join that. That's very active. We have an active community that's super friendly and will help you. And then all of us, you know, team members are in the Discord. We also have intercom, so you can engage with us directly in the product or, you know, support at uh, mindstudio.ai works as well. Uh, and so you should be able to get up and running again in less than an hour and be a proficient, uh, you know, capable AI developer and, and build AIs for yourselves uh, or, or for other people. I love that so much. Dimitri, thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. What did you dream of doing as a kid? What did you see in your life and where were you going? What kind of obstacles have you ran into from the roots that have maybe not always served you? And how can you now move to the rewards in your life? How can you embrace the concept of knowing that you are uniquely brilliant. You were created for a purpose and the world needs you. How can you move from roots to rewards through all the obstacles life may bring and live as a thriving entrepreneur? Think about that all week long until we're together again next time. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. If you want to get your question answered, send an email to questions at wehelpyouthrive.com. We look forward to you joining us again next time. Hi, my name is Steve Kidd. I am a third-generation minister, an international best-selling author of multiple books, and I help people write publish and market their books to bestseller. In fact, there are literally thousands of people that have used the system that I created to be able to write, publish and market their books. And now they're bestselling authors and you're next. I just wanted to come on for a minute, say hi to you, tell you a little bit about me, introduce myself and tell you, I know the world is waiting on your message and I would be so honored to be part of sharing your message with the world.
go to asksteamkid.com and schedule a time to talk today. <laughs>